The following episode of the Carnival of Randomness is sponsored by an important message to you, the people from Upsetnik and Associates. Every day there are forces that are taking from you, stealing from you. Your money, your time, your freedom. Immense faceless corporations, banks, credit card companies, insurance providers, government agencies, this list goes on and on. When you are under attack and facing crisis, turn to us, Upsitnik and Associates, attorneys for you, the people. When every day becomes a battle, we can advise and assist. We have been advocates for 40 years. Email us through UpsitniksLaw.com or call us at 1-866-391-3299 or reach out to us through Upsitnik and Associates on Facebook for a prompt, no obligation, communication and consultation. Don't be pushed around. Welcome to another edition. Something of Carnival of Randomness. I'm wearing a mask. An so edition. So I'm doing that. <laughs> and this is a mask edition. Obviously, these are strange times, and we're taking all precautions. But I've been scanning the stars to find some good guests, and our very own space girl Susie has arrived again. Woo! <laughs> and she's wearing a Mets mask, which is really good because they need all the support they can they get. Sure, Hi, Don. That, that would have been sure twice as loud without the mask. Trust yeah. me. That's why we have the mask besides that. And we have Greg. And Greg, why don't you introduce our guest? Oh, certainly. Uh, we have the illustrious G-Man here, who uh, a friend of mine who is a, has a myriad of interests and uh, skills. So he will Wax poetically on his life and style. <laughs> and so, I appreciate you used the word myriad in a sentence. That's right. Well, you know, I, I went to Carney. You know, I'm uh, educated. But you're a drummer, so you wondered about that. So. Hey! All right, I'm out. I'm done. I'm done. At least he's not a smoking green rock. <laughs> but one thing we were going to talk about before we get going is what happens at the carnival is we, we sign off, and then it's like, oh, damn it, there was one thing more I wanted to say. So last time with Greg, we were talking about stuff, wrapping things up. Right afterwards, he said, oh, I was going to mention this, and it was about science fiction and with the coronavirus. Right. Yeah. Well, it started making me think that, like, the, the, the things like the Future Shock book and um, any sci-fi movie you watch from the 50s and 60s, even Star Trek episodes, you know, there was a lot of that, well, our, our, we used to have... It was a really good. It was a really good civilization till the wars, or till the famine, or till this. Or it's always something, overpopulation, or or like the whole thing of cameras everywhere, and the whole thing of the Big Brother, and all that kind of stuff. And I started realizing, okay, that was fantasy back then, and now, you know, it seems like it's kind of here, and. You know, you wonder was that the everywhere? <laughs> was that the idea for it? I mean, did people like you know Steve Jobs and all these other guys? They say, oh, you know, maybe we could do that, or maybe, or was it just the technology happened and now it's a foreshadowing of what could have happened? You know, who well, knows? Well, for me, I was watching Soil and Green, and then a uh, right advertisement for the Impossible Whopper popped up, and I freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of dystopian futures, and hopefully we don't go that way. I used to say. This stuff, deep thoughts, we would talk about after drinking tons of booze in college <laughs> late at night. We would say, okay, what dystopian future do you think is going to become reality? I would say rollerball. Yeah. Because you have the corporations running everything. The bread and circuses, they have the violent sports yep. sure. to keep people entertained. Right, the sure. MMA stuff. Yeah. See, I think, I think Running Man. That was another one. 
Which, if you read the novel, is completely different than the movie. Sure, sure, yeah. Because, but uh, the Running Man was my it's what my friend said, and I think he was really high on something. But <laughs> that does not take away his opinion. But I thought Running Man was another one, and it's again, it's the combination of the corporations controlling everything, no freedom, and distracting people with the violent games. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you watch these now, and you go, I don't really want to watch these because how things are. Right. Or I was thinking of the movie The Road, and I, it's about a plague that wipes out civilization, and it's very dark. Cormac McCarthy's a great writer; he's brilliant the way he words things. But this is one of the most depressing movies I've ever seen. Do you remember the Andromeda Strain? Oh, oh yes, that one. I mean, this is so so right out of that handbook because they they said at one point, oh, maybe this came from outer space. Well, no, it didn't, but. How do we know that, that they haven't? Our government hasn't sent something up to space because they're developing viruses at the space lab. So how do we know that they didn't take the coronavirus, tweak it up there, and bring it back down? Yeah, or, I mean it's you know, you know another one is the stand also. Which yeah, is, right. Which is, yeah, which is there's another, definitely which is a little bit more. I think the stand was a little bit more um, <laughs> spiritual than than anything. But the book Andromeda Strain. The thing I thought. The favorite, my favorite part of the book that was of Andromeda Strain is when they. I have to take this mask off. I'm sorry, I cannot breathe. So okay, I, mean, I can't breathe. I'm just joking. Just, it but, is. We're separated, and we also have for people who don't see it. We have. It's like a small group. We're trying to follow everything. We're always concerned about. I was safety. kidding about the mask. <laughs> anyway, what I was saying is in <laughs> the, the, the Andromeda Strain. Um. They have to go through this level. They have to go yeah. through seven oh, yeah. levels. Yep. They don't show it in the movie. It's not in the movie. No, they showed they, the levels where they go down through. But they didn't, they only went through quickly. They didn't yeah, explain no, they didn't what explain. was happening. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. didn't explain that the first level you go through is water that you have to swim under. The second level, the, the seventh level is where they have to go in and breathe helium. Oh, wow. They have to actually inhale helium, liquid helium. To be able to get into the chamber where they had to go through, and that made me think to myself, "Oh my gosh, it's like drowning." Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what mice and rats go through. Yeah, and the other thing in the book, <laughs> the difference between the book and the film, and the film, fear scares it away. It's like a shock. You're in the guy's. Why doesn't it affect him? Because he freaks out. But in the book, if I remember, it just mutates and goes away. Well, it, it goes back into space. Yeah. The bizarre thing about uh, when I saw the movie was that they came to that one town where everybody was dead, and there were two people that lived. One was a child, mm-hmm. and one was a, was an old man that drank squeeze, and that's where you pour uh, uh, sterno through a piece of bread <laughs> to get the alcohol out. But it was, and what they realized was it was the two ends of the spectrum of our our biology yeah. that that made them safe. So that's why. Those two lived. Is the, I forget. I think the baby was anemic, and and the mm-hmm. old man had the, the squeeze, and that's how they that's how they survived. And remember, they also burned the entire town down. Yeah. Damn, G, you're educated. Yes. Well. And also, too, this is a first for the carnival. We have a very special guest. We have a little doggy. <laughs> say hi. Everybody, say hi to Dean. Nevada. Nevada. Can you hi, Nevada. Nevada. <laughs> No barks? <laughs> no comment, huh? Okay. <laughs> Maybe next time Nevada will talk to us, but it seems a little shy. So actually, what's going on now, a lot of people, I'm thinking about, like, if aliens came, I'd want to hitch a ride. What are some thoughts about life on other planets and everything? You Like, Susie. You're... Well, I've been to other planets in my mind, 
and I've read a lot of conspiracy theory books myself, and um, so my imagination runs wild. And I am from another planet because clearly I am a space girl. Well, we've known that for <laughs> <laughs> a life on other planets is, I would think, is similar to this planet. However, you know, to, you know, to be for us to be able to understand life on other planets, it would have to be carbon based. We wouldn't be able to under. I mean, we may be able to understand a silicone. Yeah, Archie C. Based. Clark claimed, and he also claimed one of the things he said, like living crystal rock. Crystalline, which is silic- silicone crystalline. Yeah, and um, it depends on the level of consciousness, I would assume, and and how we perceive things without being in fear, because we are a fear, we're a flight and fright type of being where we get so overwhelmed by adrenaline that adrenaline takes over us. If we weren't able to sit down and meditate and not be afraid of what's in front of us and just chill and try to listen, maybe, just maybe we'd be able to move on past this existence. It's typical of your human hubris to think there are no other life forms out there beyond your own. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Well... He just uh, wanted to say hubris. I did. <laughs> the big words from a drummer, what the heck? I know. I it's know. this coffee, he, man. He surprises us once in a while. Um, Carl Sagan worked with uh, uh, a Dr. Drake and the... The Drake the, theorem. The, yep. Yeah, yeah. The, the Drake equation. And they quantified uh, just in, in our own Milky Way galaxy. And when they first did it, they... It came up with a quantification that there's 60,000 other possibilities just within our own galaxy of bipodal hominoid life. Since then, now that that they have the bigger telescopes and things, they've added a zero to that, just in our own galaxy, not counting. So so when you extrapolate how many billions and trillions and, you know, uh, et cetera, of galaxies there are, the quantification has to hold out that there's got to be all other kinds of, of bipodal hominoids. Bipedal. Uh, okay. You say bipodal, I say bipedal. Let's call the whole thing. Potato, oh. potato. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> being a vegetable. Uh, but I, I think of that, and also uh, if you look at you know just the evidence on our own planet, uh, there are things that, that defy our, our current <laughs> quantitativeness, and yet uh, there's only one other explanation that's left, and it, it holds up to Occam's razor. What's the truth? Well, the truth has to be that we are not of this earth. Yes, and Occam's razor, for those who don't know, means if there's something out there, you take the simplest explanation, it's probably the right one. Right, yeah. right. When all the, all the lies fall to the ground. What hangs on the edge of the razor yeah. is the truth. And I've used Zeno's paradox to make sure I don't cut the grass. Yeah. So I just say I can't. <laughs> yeah. I have to do that. But there's also, too, the idea that I know the Goldilocks theorem, that there's some planets out there that yes. are just right. Right. Sure, because they're in the they're in the, the zone. And Isaac Asimov one time wrote one thing about, okay, are they visiting or not? And he tried to say, okay, taking this the civilization, how long it took to develop over billions of years. You would have to be advanced enough. How old would the civilization have to be to achieve space flight and everything? How did the technology go from this to be able to reach the stars? Because look at us. We've been around for you know a long, long time. We've only been able to mess things up on our own planet. Well, this, the second to last thing in the Drake equation is the extinction factor. So once we reach nuclear capability, 
Will we either A, blow ourselves up, or B, use it to get out to the stars? Sure, and yeah. we're almost at midnight with the, with the nuclear clock. Yeah. Now, Antron Petrov is somebody that Don and I watch a lot. His YouTube channel is called What the Math. What the Math. And he lives up in um, uh, Quebec. I actually talk to him and ask him stuff because I, I do code and he teaches code, so I'm always asking him questions. He was talking about this on his site about crystalline um, silicon and carbon, and he th he also thinks that it's only a carbon base and the ability to actually have people that are like us in this galaxy is very rare. Very rare. But they've narrowed it down to like maybe eight eight altogether in the five galaxies that are around us. So each galaxy is like an atom and we're the nucleus with the egg inside with all the life. And we know you're from space, but you think we are from Mars? No, I think we're from Venus. I think that Venus... Because the idea of the microbes coming from on a meteorite? Well, that's definitely uh, something that, that from the Oort cloud, yeah, absolutely. Microbes coming from the Oort cloud, which is like the... Think of the Oort cloud as the egg white. Or the sperm coming in and coming in and hitting I'd the planet. I'd rather think of egg white. <laughs> Listen, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Neither. It was the sperm. I want to live for the day. I want to live the for the day. Nobody questions it. the motives of chickens or eggs. Where That's were what you, I want to live for. What? <laughs> what a boom. Shame. <laughs> Thanks. I'll be swimming here all night. <laughs> well, you know, if, if, you, if you look at um, like ancient Samarian uh, uh, lore, uh, Theoretically, there was uh, a planet Nibia. Nibiru. And, Nibiru and and um, damn you guys. There was a, <laughs> there was a war between uh, that and the, the people on Mars, and and the theoretically the Great Pyramid was considered the great weapon. Mm -hmm. it, it's originally it was originally uh, made it did up have as crystal a crystal on top of it. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. And and if you look at the composites of it, it's set up like a battery. Mm -hmm. the different uh, rock structures within it. And theoretically what it did was that they, uh, first of all, they, they shot the atmosphere off Mars, then they destroyed Nibia, or Nibiru, Nibiru uh, and that's what became our asteroid cloud. Oort. Yeah. Well, the Oort cloud, I'm sorry, the Oort cloud is wow. way out there. I've read a lot of Colin Wilson, and one of the things he talks about is the Dogon tribe and spotting Sirius the dog star in the sky. Yeah. And about how, okay, how this ancient tribe know where it was and everything and talk about being visited. You know, you, usually you would go down, people, oh, yeah, we know exactly where that is how many years ago. Yeah, well, that and the, uh, like, if you look at the Japanese culture, um, they form Subaru Motors because they feel they're from Subaru, and Subaru is Pleiades in Japanese. So that's why the head of Subaru Motors started... And, and called it that. And that's why when you look at the plaque, it has the, 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 the binary star. star. Yep. It has the binary star system. And there's also... Very good. Wow. <laughs> from I play the drums. City, from, <laughs> well, that's why, you know, we try to keep you to a couple sentences. We don't expect hey, too much. I am Groot. <laughs> I've always said, like, you know, SETI Tau-E, there has to be extraterrestrial life, because how do you explain the 1969 Mets? 
right? Right. You know? <laughs> the, the what? Right? 69. The 1969 Mets. Some oh. kind of interference from above came on there. Well, I, there was a UFO that yeah. came down. And I think of the SETI it. project, too, and I always think, I think it was in 1976 or whatever, the blip. Yep. Where something picked it up. 1978, it was it was and it was That's in, why it's randomness on here. I don't look things up. I well, pop them up was, and stuff I'll, in my I'll head. I'll tell you what it was because my dad told me about it. My dad was a huge conspiracy theorist, quote-unquote. He was actually the admiral on our ship, mind you. He was telling me that it was the alien greys who came down to tell us that we were here, and it was in England that the blip was... Oh, you're talking about the satellite blip? SETI. Yeah, SETI. Okay, well, the satellite blip came along the same time that there was a transmission in England. Um, I, I'm going to look it up for you and play it for you because it's pretty creepy. This so, reminds me of the fifth element when you guys talk about the pyramids and things. Well, like the that. pyramids are true. You know, do, you, do you know that there's a, a gentleman, he was, he's a Japanese gentleman. At, don't quote me, he could be from, from Philippines for all I know. But he is um, he has been studying the mountains in the Appalachian Trail and realized that in, I do believe it's West Virginia or somewhere along the Blue Ridge Mountains, topo topographically, there is a pyramid hmm. where the Blue Ridge Mountains are. There's also a pyramid where, um, what's the name of that old place when, when God created the flood and it flooded Atlantis. Yeah, there's a pyramid in Atlantis. There's a pyramid on Mars. There's there's only one pyramid. Well, I know on Mars, a pyramid though. on Mars from Doctor Who. Well, that thing. Well, a, that's real. Yeah, and it's on the same longitude and latitude and ley lines as the Great Pyramid on Earth. And it also has a sphinx on it. it yeah, the pic, the sphinx on it. Yeah, I've so, seen the picture. Yes. Yeah. I was very big into this. I used to, I begged my parents to get me a telescope in the 70s, <laughs> oh gosh, and I would be yeah. watching the stars every night. I actually saw a shooting star the other night. I'm just, take me with you. Get Did me you out. make a, yeah, that's a good wish. That is a good wish. Yeah, it is. But I'm going to jump around as we always do on here. I, I would be... Very interesting, though. I didn't know a lot. Oh, we'll go back to the you know, yeah. what news, what we'll talk about. But... Do you have any Blue Oyster Cult stories? Uh, <laughs> because my friend, our, our good friend Steve Litvick loves them. He's on here a lot. And I said, you know, I have a Blue Oyster Cult story for you. Is there yeah. anything that's not rated like X you can tell? No, 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 no. Uh, well, the, the, the more cowbell thing is actually a true story. Uh, I've, known, I've known Donald for 30-some years now. Donald Rozier? Yes. And uh, and and his wife and his and her daughter. Uh, her daughter's the same age as my son, so so we're good, we're good buddies. And I asked him one day. I said I said what's the deal with this more cowbell thing? That was actually true. That when they they wanted to record uh, uh, "Burning for You" live in the studio, and he said the producer kept running in, going more cowbell, more cowbell. And I I forget how the word got out. But that's actually a true story that he kept interrupting the recording and come running in, more cowbell. It's always amazing <laughs> how things go like that, how it used to go. So things would travel like that. It would be amazing. It would start there, and all of a sudden it would just spread out. It would go to one concert, then somebody would hear it, say it's somewhere else. And Susie's got a scary UFO. It's a divine thing. intervention, I guess. <laughs> in November 1977, the ITN Evening News transmitted to the Berkshire and Hampshire area got hijacked. Mr. Smith's offer to negotiate an internal settlement based on one man, one vote. But, he says, there are conditions. These include stopping the execution of all captured prisoners of war, allowing you to take part of the negotiations. 
being arrested. In Australia, Mr. Kerry Packer's cricketers are still pleading about yesterday's high court decision, which lifts the ban on them playing in test matches and This is the voice of Allah, representative of the Ashtabalactic Kamala, speaking to you. For many years, you have seen us as lights and as servants. We speak to you now to service them as we have done to your brothers and sisters all over this, your planet Earth. We come to warn you of the destiny of your race and your world so that you may communicate to your fellow beings the course you must take to avoid the disaster which threatens your world. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Age of Aquarius. Clap your and Nick too. That's all I have to say. It's the case. Aquarius. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Somebody was watching Hair and yeah. watching UFO, the show UFO, and clearly, did you know that all aliens have an English accent? It's amazing, isn't it? Amazing! It's a universal well, I didn't translator. Know that. <laughs> it's a universal translator. Well, I remember that early. I've, I think it was the very first Outer Limits episode, the Galaxy Being. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The, the guy was experimenting with a radio station or something, and then this thing came out of the monitor because it was like a wave. The waves became alive or something. And it well, Nicola Tesla, even before we had radio on the planet. Developed a radio and, and got signals the, from Mars. From, from Venus. Oh, he, oh, I, 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 was in it my Venus? study, no, it's Mars. Mars. That, right. that reminds me. I just watched. I, I don't know why I wanted to. I want. I watched Tomorrowland. That movie Tomorrowland. I've oh, seen great, it. Good. Yeah, and yeah. and there's that whole scene where he, the Eiffel Tower is supposed to be an antenna of some. They had this whole theory going on that Tesla made the Eiffel Tower to pick up signals from space and all this kind of shit. Yeah, it's, you guys should watch the uh, season three. Is it 12? Season 12, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who. Oh, I've she, watched it. She talks yeah. with Nis- Nikola Tesla, and he's talking about it. Yep. And, uh, I never knew that. Just check that one out. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, and, and a lot of what Tesla uh, uh, studied was, the, uh, was Egyptian knowledge. Because mm-hmm. uh, he realized okay. the Egyptians had electricity and all these other things, and uh, I mean, how do you how do you paint inside of a pyramid with no windows, right? And not leave uh, people said, oh, they used torches. Well, no, they didn't because <laughs> there's no torch marks. Clearly, show how they made batteries, right? Then, with right. Potatoes or something crazy like that. Uh, they used wine in clay with a carbon rod in the middle. Okay. And and also, if you look at like um, the Romans, they had coliseums where they had animals three and four levels down. Uh, that would pop up out of nowhere, so they had elevators and and they had to have a, circul- a circulating system, and they had to have uh, electric lights because if you're down four stories, you can't have torches or the you know, the carbon dioxide would kill everything. So uh, uh, Edison inventing the bulb is 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 
alive. Well, Edison didn't <laughs> invent the bulb. Edison took everybody Rediscovered else's. It. No, he he took everybody else's. He hired them and well, yeah. said, "This well, is wasn't mine." Wasn't there some battle? With Have him you seen the current, war? The, current the current war? The yes. current war. The current war. Yeah, and yes. it was yeah. yeah when 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 uh, when uh, Edison first put the power plant at Niagara Falls. Uh, they were powering Niagara Falls, and they were trying to power Buffalo, but they were using direct current. So they had to have all these substations, and they couldn't really make it work. So uh, Edison heard of, of Tesla's work down in Jersey, so he brought him up to Niagara Falls, and he says, you need alternating current. And back in 18, I think it was 1860 or something like that, once they used alternating current, they not only powered Niagara Falls and Buffalo, Rochester had free electric power. And it was Westinghouse that said, wait a minute, we got to right. make them pay for this crap. Westinghouse, right. And that's, that's why, and they, that's when they booted Tesla out of the project. And Wasn't there something also about the electric chair or something that they... Edison had something to do with the electric chair? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, that, I heard something about that. Him and Tesla had this, that battle... And then he turned around and used it. He figured, okay, I'm just going to... He well, had some idea for, like, electricity to sure, kill people or because something. because he decided, he realized that it wasn't alternating current. It was it was DC. What is What does the D stand for? Direct, Direct current. current. Direct, Direct current. current kills. Alternating current doesn't. So if you add the alternating current and the direct current together, that's what will zap you instantly. Right. Well, he, here's, here's a thought, too. I always wondered this. I mean, this is pretty pretty heady, I guess, but... I've always wondered, okay, why do certain things happen at a certain time? I mean, okay, is there some sort of, I hate to use the word divine, but is there some divine plan or a big plan? Okay, why was the gun invented when it was invented, not 200 years before that? Why was Edison born when he was, you know, when he had his idea? I mean, was it supposed to all happen in a certain graduated thing? We are Borg. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think out there, everybody? <laughs> no, that's really interesting. It's like it's one of those things you can you can never give an answer to. It's like why do people come along? Like the right person might come along, or some invention, or is it just progress? Tech, you know, people right. building well, yeah. on each other. Well, there's the technological half life. You know, where uh, you invent something, and then the next big thing will come along in half the time it took to get to that. And that's why, like, once we went from. Uh, valve state technology to transistors it took how many years well then all of a sudden once we hit transistors how quickly have we progressed from there right and if you look at half-lives now are so quick that you can't even design a circuit fast enough it's already obsolete before it's even put into production right because somebody's already come along and half-life that so well yeah, i use a pop culture what is it the exponential uh curve yeah well, i use a pop culture reference it's this thing tony stark's looking at his dad <laughs> and he says I'm limited by the by time. I want you to carry this on for me when you have more available. Because he realized in the 50s he only could do so much. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be frustrating for some people where they just want to keep doing. Like I want to, I would love to be able to go travel to other planets. <laughs> so hurry up! Right, I know. Where's the Umbrella Academy when you need them? <laughs> I know, right? I know the second season's out. Gotta watch oh, it. I already watched I saw it. Play burst on. I My friends did a play burst on. Welcome to the Black Parade by the same singer wrote that Gerald Way, right? But we're going to get, let's go and we have all these musicians with us, we can do a little of this, and I understand, tell us a little about, what was it, the Silvertone Ants? Oh, that's G's thing. Yeah, tell yeah. us a little about those. Well, they're old, they're very old amps that Sears used to sell, 
that was like their product. Were right? they for the silver tone guitars? Because they're like Greg yep, Townsend. Silver tone guitar. Greg Townsend, our friend, plays the '61 yeah. silver tone. Yep. The uh, uh, Nathaniel Daniel uh, started the Dan Electro Company, and then the Beatles came out. So uh, Sears and Montgomery Wards and all that approached them and said, "Look, we we need uh, more cost-effective things because the, all the kids can't afford Defenders and the Marshalls." So. Uh, what he did was he took a lot of just off-the-shelf products. He used, you know, press board and masonite and things like that uh, to do, to make the the cabinets and everything. Um, but he went to, um, uh, I think it was GE or Sylvania, whoever was doing tubes for the government, Sylvania. and he got government quality uh, military spec tubes. So he used high quality tubes, and the rest of the parts were, you know, kind of off the shelf. I would think it would be Sylvania because silver. Yeah, silver pro tone, pro Sylvania. probably. Um, but uh, so so he marketed them through uh, Sears as the silver tone. Uh, Montgomery Wards they were called airline amps, um, but the silver tones because of the way they were made they were based off the CBS uh, uh, handbook for amps, and basically they were just like a Fender except for you know you didn't have the expensive cabinet. And, and all that, uh, and they were, they were a big hit, and they have a very unique sound. Um, most uh, most of your your great blues players have a silver tone amp in their studio or that they use. And the, my story with them was when I was a kid, I I bought one, and on the back, <clears throat> I scratched it where it said Sears Roebuck to read Sears Pubuck. I was fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 I. So, and it was the real rare 610 with the, with the uh, foot switch and all that. And, and at about 17, uh, uh, Doc Stillwell used to do amps for Richie Blackmore and, and all these people. And, and there was a, a brown-style Fender Pro that I wanted. And the guy wanted 75 bucks. So I sold my amp to a kid in Elmira. And, and I'll never forget the day I was, I was hugging my amp and crying, going, I'll see you again. The kid's like, ah, I'm from Elmira. you never see this amp. So fast forward 20 years later... Um, I'd gotten hep C through uh, uh, vaccinations in the Air Force and so I couldn't uh, do my carpet sculpting or anything anymore and so I got back into music and I said to my, my girlfriend at the time I said I want to get an amp she said well, we'll go to Stutzman's I said they're going to have it she said well the hog will rip you off so we'll go to Stutzman's <laughs> okay fine <laughs> so I walk in I said to the guy I'm looking for an amp but not just any amp I want the Sears Silvertone 610 with the with the dolly and the foot switch. He goes, I can't help you. I started to walk out. He goes, I don't have the foot switch. <laughs> I froze, turned around, $300 later. <laughs> I take it home, and I take it out in my studio, and I go to put the head on the amp, and I, I screamed, and I started crying. My girlfriend runs up, what's the matter? I said, look at this. Sure enough, <laughs> somehow, by some strange twist of fate, 20 years and 200 miles later, here's my amp back in my possession. And that was about... 20 years ago so I was so impressed with it that I started collecting uh, the old silver tones and actually my carpenter friend in Ithaca and I redeveloped the cabinets because uh, being in floor covering I used uh, flooring grade subfloor wood for it and I used uh, Luan uh, flooring grade for the speaker mounts and all that so the cabinets we make look exactly like the silver tones uh, and I even reproduced the foot switches um, uh, the only difference, they are a little bit heavier, 
but they're a lot more sturdy and everything than the original. Better wood. Yeah, better wood. Better. They look yeah. better. Right, right. Good Norwegian And this is wood. something for someone I have no clue about this. That is there a difference? Like, is there a gold standard silver tone amp, or they're all pretty much the same? They're all pretty much the same because they were all developed off the off the CBS uh, book for amps, it's which is that your so fenders. much better That's... than me. We had a band in high school. Our first band was called Feedback, and the reason was we had the cheapest <laughs> instruments possible. So I remember we had a fifteen dollar amp. I don't know what it was, piece of shit amp. <laughs> I would call it, and it would just <laughs> like that. So I decided I was broke. So I went down to a music store in Greece, and I thought, yeah, maybe I'll get five bucks for it. <laughs> this dude comes out, looks like David Lee Roth. I mean, this could have been David Lee Roth, like, popping around the store. Mm-hmm. He takes it in the back to play it. All I hear is he's trying to play in the car. And, Krak! You know, and I'm like, dollar. <laughs> he comes out, give you 75. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Don't change your mind. You, you know, it's funny about stuff coming back to you. This happened to me only once. I don't have can't remember exactly the circumstances, but I got rid of some stuff, and all of a sudden, there was this guy, I don't know, there was a drum case, like a bass drum case or something, and I remember when I was, you know, I was, I, I stenciled them, you know, like to make them look cool or whatever, put my name on them or something, and all of a sudden, this guy had, oh, I got these extra cases, and I look at it, and it's the same case, <laughs> and it's like, where did you, how, where did this come from? I don't even remember who I gave it to, and now it's, all of a sudden, it's like, in this practice room or something, and well, I'm like, okay. Well, one of the <laughs> sil- interesting. One of the silver tones because I was buying them and selling them for quite a while it's all over the country, and uh, one of the ones I'd redone, uh, it, it needed new Tolex, so I put, uh, I had a bunch of uh, uh, felt for for billiard tables, so I did it in that, and I was going to put knobs on it, like you know, different eight balls and all, you can get knobs for them, but I, I did that and I sold it to. Uh, 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 one of our our postmen, he had a friend that uh, uh, wanted an amp. Next thing I know, I get this call from uh, uh, one of the firefighters in town. He says, "Are you still doing the silver tones?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Well, I got one of your silver tones because I always wrote inside when I tacked it, what I did to it, the whole bit." And he tracked me down, and so here he found it on the side of the road. <laughs> Oh my God! The kid just tossed it out. He sold the knobs it's off. It's amazing it. how things in life sometimes you think there's a plan out there somewhere because things will come back to you, or you'll meet somebody years ago who'll turn out to be a really good friend later on. That brings like, it back to my divine. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a whole episode on that. But it's like you ever like you have a chance encounter with somebody like 20 years ago, then all of a sudden you become friends. You're like, wait a second, did I know you back then? Right. Or like something just comes around like that. Like there's this way of life where it's all connected. One of the one of the weird things uh, uh, yeah. um, with, with people that have had alien involvement is that we tend to bump into each other uh, somehow, right, and Susie's I'm an Air Force me. brat. My dad was in the yep, Air Force, and yep. he was a radar tech. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's strange how, um, uh, you know, you, you meet somebody, like you say, and then years <clears throat> later you get talking, and it's like, wait a minute, you know, I remember you from here and here and here. Or you have that other thing where, and I'll say, and first I'll say, if I gave Susie a bag of green stuff before this, it was mint, not weed. It <laughs> smells sure. so good in my car. <laughs> tell you, but... When I met Susie, it was a case of almost like when you meet people, and this was the Earl Cram review many, many years ago. With the, <laughs> it and awesome. it's like when you meet somebody, you all of a sudden go, you know, we're going to be friends. Yep. I was on stage, and I was singing, and at one, back then I was wearing, like, Was Stan six. the man, the bad on us are playing. Yep. At the... Literally, no joke, because I'm 4'11", I was wearing 
and Greg can attest to this, six-inch heels with platforms, I would literally jump off the stage oh, yeah. <laughs> onto my knees and slide into, and I remember locking eyes with you, and I'm like, this guy, I'm going to yeah. slide, I'm going to jump off the stage and slide, and I was like there David Lee slide <laughs> right in front of you and sing. And you're just kind of like, whoa. <laughs> like, and it's like serendipity, because why was I there? Because of Stan the Man, and I knew all that. Right. right. <laughs> you were kind of like a stilt walker with those things. Dude, I love those shoes. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. Thanks, car crash. But, but that's how things go, I think, in life. I think sometimes you're destined to meet people who will become a part of your life. Yep. I found that in my life a lot. Yeah. But the one thing I found interesting, we'll talk a lot about creation. You seem to be a very creative person. I'm the only one who isn't here. Well, a You're drummer, so full of shit. Yes, well, you are creative. Well, he's a drummer. He can't do, you know, as long as he can stand up and walk. <laughs> you know. Now, now, hey, now. you know, I want a little respect on this show. Now, I now, come now. here every week. You get no respect on it. He's also a songwriter, so you got to give him some credit. No, I, I'm, I, you know, drummer jokes don't bother me. Pollock jokes don't bother me because I'm half Polish. None of that stuff bothers me. When do like, we tell the best? When do we tell the best like, drummer like jokes? <laughs> was when Rob Mount was here, my dear friend, and we had drummers. These guys told the best drummer jokes. Right. right. It's like you ever want any good like jokes from anything? Go to a person. I grew up around Italians and Gates. The best Italian jokes come from Italians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you better believe but it. What I heard color carpet sculpturing. How this is, sounds fascinating to me. <laughs> what is this like? Um, well, it's it's thousands of years old. The the Chinese, if you look at their you know their woven carpets, a lot of them the, the real high end silk ones and things, they would actually take scissors and 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 sculpt out the design. Uh, the modern day um, started when they invented the broad looms, and so um, what an artist does is you you disassemble and reassemble the initial part of it, and then you take clippers and things and. And, and sculpt a three-dimensional design out of that. He does some really cool and, ones, guitars yeah, and things. My work's, been in, my work's been in Barney's, Esquire, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, Les Paul's Home Studio, um, and Lou Paolo, his guitar player. When I went to get my guitar signed by Les, I bummed a cigarette off him, <laughs> not realizing who he was. And... Uh, when he said he's, he's Les's guitar player, I said, oh, my God, I saw you on XXI a month ago. Now i got to make you a carpet. <laughs> so I made him one that just said Gibson, a little sample carpet, just said Gibson in the corner. And uh, when I sent it to him, he called me up. He says, you know that guitar I played that night? He goes, yeah. He said, quick story. He said, uh, he said, Keith Richards gave me that when I was at his house. And I'm like, get out. It's a 59 Les Paul. And Lou was at Keith's house, and... Mm -hmm. You know they're they're good friends. So he, he played this guitar, and he goes to hand it back to Keith. He goes, "That's yours." He said, "In fact, Les gave me that one," mm -hmm. and so it came back home to Lou. And Lou said that that's his favorite guitar. When he's not playing, it sits on my carpet. Mm -hmm. So it's so I I made a few uh, a few uh, marks with that. Uh, um, the piece that was on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous I did for uh, Mark Costabi, who was considered the Warhol of the '90s. Uh, I did that down in New York. I, I actually met Robin Leach. I have his, his signature. I was just going to say, Robin Leach. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah, he wrote champagne wishes for me. Uh, in fact, the night I was down there for that show, I was hanging around with uh, Jack Palance and his wife the hmm. whole night. Oh, wow. And uh, all, all sorts of celebrities like that. It was it was phenomenal. Uh, you are my number one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just like... Do they come to you in terms of 
vision for that? Or if somebody said, well, could you design you one that looks like such and such? Could you do that? Or is it more a personal thing where the ideas for the whatever designs is, um, ah, I'm going to do it like this. It's going to well, be cool. <laughs> some were like, uh, like I did a lot of work for, uh, I was a, 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 an affiliate member of ASID, the American Society of Interior Designers. Hmm. And... Um, so I did, I did work for decorators where they'd come and say, okay, this is the people's china pattern, and this is the wallpaper pattern or whatever, and I would reproduce that in, in a carpet. Um, some people would have me design them. Uh, others, I just you know did my own designs, and, and, and people would buy the, the designs. Um, and, and I taught for quite a while, too. I had people coming from all over the country here to Rochester. How's the process? How long does it usually take to do one? Um, it depends on the complexity. Um, I have one that uh, it's a sister piece to the piece I made for less. Uh, the piece I made for less was was a four, uh, four foot by six foot, uh, just the head of a, a Gibson guitar that said Les Paul on it and all that. And then I made a uh, because I worked for Foghat, I made an homage piece. Uh, Lonesome Dave and 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 uh, Rod Price played Burgundy Les Pauls, so I made one in Burgundy with the crown and all that. And that took me um, a good week, and I mean eighty-hour week. I didn't, because once you start on them, you kind of and you get obsessed too. You oh probably, yeah, oh, it very just much blows so. by. I remember like when I was working on a writing project, it'd be four o'clock and you start it'd be four o'clock in the morning. I just go till dawn. Oh yeah. Oh, there were many times where, where my, my my girlfriend had to come out and say, "That's it." You got to go to bed. But I'm on a roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my hands, I, I would uh, my literally, my hands, are, yeah, my hands would, get, would lock right up from using the, using the tool for so long and when I was sculpting. But I would do them. This, this shows, again, in terms of artistic talent compared host compared to the guests we have. My carpet sculpting would be when I spilled my cherry soda on it. <laughs> and, had it and I would just say, people would look at it and go, well, I got that at an auction. It's a Pollock. <laughs> you know, but like that. But I remember I told you before we started in terms of Foghat, I saw them open for Triumph at the War Memorial, and those were the days. Those were the days. A lot of people were having 80s nostalgia because it sucks so much in 2020. <laughs> but I used to go to every concert because it was so cheap. But I remember they opened up for Triumph there. They put on, and I said, and some people didn't know, and I said, oh, these. These guys go way back. They're really good. I oh yeah! In fact, there's there's a, uh, a couple of friends of mine. They're younger guys. They're like in their fifties, uh, right around the corner from me, and they're all gearheads. And when they found out I worked for Foghat, that's what they all call me. So every time I stop by their house, like, hey, Foghat, they here. start doing slow ride. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And 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 so I, one day I said, I said, Bob, why do you guys? I mean, not that I mind, but they said, hey, look, growing up, we were, you know, out working on our mini bikes or this and that, and then our cars as we got older, and that's what we played constantly. And my Foghat. own trivia, the only thing I've ever won from a radio station one time was CMF. I'm listening. It's a Sunday. Sunday was like a big thing for radio. When I was a kid, Dr. Dementor, Rock, oh, yeah, yeah, and everything yeah. else. They had a contest. It was the Outlaws and Foghead playing <laughs> in Buffalo. And I remember I won. And then I tried to act cool, and he's like, How old are you? <laughs> and my mom go pick <laughs> I the won, I won. <laughs> But that's the only thing I've ever won. <laughs> it's funny, oh, the, the, the bass player that got me in Foghat. Um, Here, have a coffee. <laughs> Uh, he's a buddy of mine from my hometown. He he actually played for Kim Simmons before that in Savoy Brown, and then when when the, the opening came in Foghead, they, they they called him up to that, and then afterwards he actually went and played for the Outlaws, and he was on the last album or two, 
uh, Jeff Howell is his name, and uh, uh, he's the one that got me in fog. And I always got to, and wow. I'll get the song name wrong from the Outlaws. Uh, what is Green Grass and Blue Skies? Green Grass and High Tides. High Tides. They played, I think they did like a 20-minute jam on there. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Ghost Riders in the Sky. Oh, That's my yeah. favorite of theirs. In fact, Jeff told me a story that uh, uh, they wanted to use that song. So he said Huey, that was a drummer at the time, was like the leader of the band. So they go to the lady's house and and, and they kind of, you know, snowballed her into mm -hmm. signing the song over for Peanuts. And then they made a huge hit out of it. And she didn't get a dime <laughs> out of it. It was, it was uh, uh, the guys in the Outlaws that made the money. They always remind me of my youth about like one of the... There's some albums I see and I just think back to the days go down to House of Guitars and go down to any record store when I was, my dad would drive us down, obviously, and just going through, and it just sticks out from that time in my life. And they were one of those bands because they were always played a lot here. Yep, yep. They, uh, they're still touring. Uh, Raj turned, what was it, 70, I think, uh, last summer. And uh, they, they're still they're still kicking. That brings up one of my favorite ideas of a reunion for Slade. Naughty Holder handled it well. People ask him, "Is there going to be a Slade reunion?" No. <laughs> all, and he says he gets along great with the guys, but for various reasons. But I like that some people hem and haw. Yeah. Really can't. He just, he says no. <laughs> well, when I was working yeah, with you know where he stands. <laughs> when I was working with Fog, I, um, I did a couple a couple uh, gigs. You know around the state first uh, and because they were trying out a couple different techs and and so when I got hired we had to go out to uh, Situate Mass where the Stones did, a, did an album and all of uh, oh I can't think of the other band right now uh, um, but uh, we get out there and <laughs> Roger's coming off the tour bus and and you know He's like, glad to have you with it. I said, well, listen, Raj, I got a, I got a bone to pick with you. I said, you and Dave are fighting. You're, you're, you know, you're at each ends of the, 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 the country, and both of you are, you know, still fighting all this crap. I said, you got to bury the hatchet. I said, get over it. You're not fourteen year old boys anymore. I said, Budweiser's been milking your, your royalties for a decade. I said, bury the hatchet. Get back together. And he looks at Jeff and he goes, he is a pisser, isn't he? Welcome <laughs> aboard, mate. <laughs> and he still says to this day, I'm the best tech he ever had. And I think that's the thing, too, I think, because I always thought I would have loved to have been like that kid in Almost Famous and go right. around and follow a rock band in the 70s. Because there was like the era where all the excess and oh, everything. Yeah. And I'd probably be dead now, but it would have been <laughs> still. But just to just go on the road for once like that, because I've been known a lot of bands, but I've never done that, obviously, just for the experience. But I think also, when you doing that and you grow up and bands you know these days they try to develop you know the look and then put the music on them they right. grew up burning on the road for how many years before they were known they got oh, the yeah. experience and they were young too and their whole youth probably went by but then you get older you get more mature you look back and you probably think well we had some spats but they were bloody good times right let's yeah. just do it again and have fun now we're mature right well that they did get back together um uh about two, two or three years before uh, Lonesome Dave, Lonesome Dave died of testicular cancer, mm -hmm. and then Roddy Price uh, fell down the stairs. But, um, but they did get back together and, and uh, put out an album or two after that. Um, so you know, I, I thought it was kind of cool to have a, a some even a distant finger in that 
No, it is. It's always, it's like, I love little brushes. I was telling the story with my friend Mike DiGiorgio. We were talking about these stories. He's been publishing on Facebook all his rock show pictures. And I was telling the story about how I met Getty Lee from Rush. And it was a 4th of July concert. Rush was having a dairy and like, I'd walk my dog in the canal by Spencerport. And he was biking by. We stopped and talked. That was it. Then, And I guess I'd heard from a... A friend, I guess he bikes a lot. What did I do all after? I ran him, I met Getty, I met Getty, I met Getty. And it's like, almost sounded like, you know, when the concert started, he was going to announce my name. <laughs> <laughs> and I was all, I met You know, I was going out, you know, I met him, I met him. What'd you do? Oh, we said hi on the canal. <laughs> We're good friends. But Mike said, you take these stories and you will remember them your whole life. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, it, it is cool like that. I mean, you know, I bumped into so many people that, you know are influential in the business and stuff and a lot of them in just a few minute meeting uh we became best friends yeah like here's a case in point um my dad was my dad was uh uh beset with Louis body and and alzheimer's so i had to go down to florida and help mom out and so i had a layover in the uh, uh jersey airport and i'm heading towards the the escalator to go out and have a cigarette and here comes this guy with all these cameras on him and everything, and I could tell they were, you know, real expensive cameras. So he gets on the thing on the escalator before me, and he had on the Gonzo Journalism logo on his denim jacket. So we get to the bottom of the stairs, and I said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. It's a Hunter Thompson quote. <laughs> he turns around, he said, it never got weird enough for me. I said, oh, you're a Thompsonite. He said... This is the jacket that Hunter had on. He was he was sitting next to him. That's how close he was wow. to Hunter Thompson. And I said, I said, you know, where are you coming from? He says, Oh, I just came off a Stones tour. And I said, They aren't touring in America. He goes, No, I just got back from Europe. Oh, see, <laughs> then, I, my my dad had the same thing to mention. He just passed this January. Oh, sorry to hear that. that. Yeah. But the other thing too is I like that sometimes it's the whole pompous attitude where people will smear people, but then. It's like, you know, I'm like, Susie, didn't you work with Barry Manilow? I did when and I was a kid. And people, like, say yeah. somebody says something bad, and you go, well, how do you know it's wrong? I know him. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tom Tom and I got talking, and he told me he did the 8.5 by 15 Rolling Stones book. And uh, so in that 15 minutes, we, 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 we hit a friendship, and we've been contacting each other ever since. Every, every few months, we'll, we'll give a call. And uh, I just talked to him last night. Uh, and and it's just it's just real interesting how, you know, a chance meeting of five or ten minutes, and you know, like we were talking yeah, earlier, yeah. and and we hit it off. Uh, we because he's all into the alien thing and the whole nine yards. <laughs> In fact, he told me that um, that Keith and uh, uh, Mick had a encounter when Mick was with uh, I think it was Marianne Faithful. Mm-hmm. They had a UFO encounter. On his on his estate in England, Stargroves. Yeah, and so uh, they they actually have uh, alarms, UFO alarms, on huh. all their properties. Wow, wow. Uh, that's that's an inside thing that Tom told me about him. That's like me with Dick Dale. I met him once. We oh, started so talking. Cool. He was inviting me over to his house at Big Sur before we were done. And Ian McLaughlin did the same. We said, "Come down. I have a bar in Texas." And actually, and just getting to know Ian and him, either telling me the true stories about something. It's like he told one story Rod Stewart told in his book is 
Rod ain't got it right. <laughs> he told Rodson, he claimed they were the first band to get kicked out of the Holiday Inn chain, and then they got Fleetwood Mac. They claimed Fleetwood Mac was, they were Fleetwood Mac and got them in trouble. He said, that's not how it was. Ian said, well, I threw something out of the window. It felt like it. But no, we, 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 we started going in. They banned us, so we started registering as family because we were on the same label. Then they kicked them out. Then we registered as a Grateful Dead. But it's like great hearing it from the first person. Right. And I just loved him, and I didn't know him that much, but I consider him a friend. And I just Ian? thought, yeah. I got, he, he is a sweetheart. I loved him. I just absolutely loved we him. Were, Don and I were at one of his, um, when he was in in town. Yeah, the Bob Shop at atrium. The Bob Shop. He, that story he told about his wife. Yeah. I just started crying. Oh, yeah, down. I felt so he, horrible. He wrote, uh, it's in the, it's at the house. I'll have to show you when you come over. He wrote a really nice little thing, and he just, what a sweet Well, I loved him. I man. felt Greg Townsend, he was supposed to tour with Los Straight Jackets and Nick Lowe, and Greg Townsend told me the story. They were going to be in Minneapolis. He mm-hmm. was supposed to come in, and he, he was never late. And then they knew something. I just felt like right. losing a friend. I know. But I would be remiss. There's one thing else I'd like to talk about, and... Go back to the documentary, This Will Get Loud. And I always called Jack White the last cool person because he would build his own guitars. I guess you make lamps out of your instruments. Oh, yeah, make lamps. And you have to tell lamps. us a little about this. I think that's just odd. Awesome. Cool. I love recycled things where you take an object, a found object, and you make art out of it. I right. love it. Uh, well, you know, when I, uh, uh, I got hit by an SUV uh, on my bicycle, that's what took me out of the car. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that. (laughs) 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 Uh, You will be hearing from my attorney. (laughs) uh, uh, So, um, you know, I I have a real passion for music, and I started making these instrument lamps uh, out of all different kinds of stuff. And I was actually the featured artist two years ago, uh, or three years ago, for Jazz Fest. Uh, they had a, a piece on me on the on the news and all that, and um, so I'm I'm still doing the the instrument lamps, and uh, I even built a uh, I built a skateboard guitar, and now I'm working on one with with the wheels on it and a tremolo, and you can actually ride it and play it. Did you yeah, ever so sell cool. the trombone lamp? No, I gotta, I gotta uh, redo. You should uh, send him a couple pictures. Yeah. yeah, we'll try to get like some pics and stuff on this for you and everything. And plus, creative people gotta create, right? Oh so yeah, you, that's, a, that's I mean, the that's one the problem. thing. It's like <laughs> the one thing is you can't stop creating, and you always go over more and more and more and more stuff. Yeah, it's hard to sit still, which is cool. It's like in, that's in terms. Of, one thing I'll ask in terms of quarantine: if you like, I know like one of my friends actually said like he's written three to four albums worth of music. I mean, it's, it lets you almost, like, in terms of keeping yourself busy, you find something you didn't have time for to do. That's the hard part about being creative is that, uh, you know, the, the, the mind never shuts off. Yeah. And so uh, sometimes it, it's kind of a curse because you, you really don't have a moment to yourself, in a sense, because your your creative side is always, you know, developing something, whether it's writing a song or... Uh, you know, uh, creating a lamp or making a guitar or whatever—it just—it just doesn't shut off. And Personally, so, for me, I think bipolar disorder one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's. Uh, I wrote but, a song about that. If you look at if you look at most of your creative people, uh, they all have some sort of uh, uh, affliction, uh, and that's what allows us to see both ends of the spectrum when most people are living life with blinders because they're, they're trying to be normal which there is no parameter but I call it being awesome <laughs> well, one of the books I, I 
people will ask me, give me give them a recommendation what to read, and I say, if you want to read something about creativity, read the lives of the great composers. And you will find none of them, people would say, were right in the head. Yeah. None of them, they all had serious... Serious. Drug addictions, uh, mental illness, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Well, it's like comedians. Comedians see things in a skewed way. And it's like you find, you know, that's why, like, even, like, sometimes, you know, you joke, like, I do these one-liner type things. I mean, you just hear something and you go, oh, and then you have a different take on it. Like, you know, they'll they'll you'll, they'll see something totally normal, like, you know, I don't know, like, hey, did you ever notice this or that? But they just have a way of looking at it that, oh, I never thought how, how messed up that is. Or they just take everything is. from the modern day. A lot of times, like, I'll hear one thing when I'm out, and I can make a routine out of it just about right. something because it's this absurdity of life nobody else notices. Exactly. Like, I had these dudes, yeah. I was getting gas, and these guys were going on about that. They are Mexican coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just saying, ah, the average stupidity. You know, you'll never run out of materials. Well, we, oh, yeah. We, we, we took a trip once. We went in, uh, to Geneva, I think it was, and we were just like a, 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 a like two or three couples, and we, we got rooms and stuff, and we just wanted, a, a, you know, it was just a quick trip, day trip thing, and I'm like a big townie bar guy. I gotta go. I don't want to go to the hotel, but I don't want to go to fancy. I want to go to the townie bar. I want to go where they see. spray the bug spray on the flies and they fall on the ice. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we go into this this little bar across from the place, the hotel, and I asked the guy, man, there's these two. I think one guy was Mexican, and you know, it was like just farmer guys, but town guys, and they were honest to God, they were having this discussion, heated, about whether a tomato was a fruit or a vegetable. Oh my God. And they're like, no, it's a tomato! Oh my God, and I'm just sitting there going, this is why I want I've to never come had, the, the only bad experience <laughs> I've ever had, I was in New York City with one of my friends, and we went to a place called Reds, and understand, he's Puerto Rican, okay? Yeah. So we go in there, and it is the name Reds, okay? Right. So he looks at me and just deadpans and he goes, I don't think they like my kind here. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing happened to us. But I love I love local like color. Like <coughs> say right. that where it's like interesting characters. You'll never know who you meet and you'll hear some good stories. Yeah, you're not gonna get that going to the fancy schmancy places, you know. Yeah. yeah, so that's cool. But just it's very good having you on, man. Hope you enjoyed it. Oh, it's ball. Oh yeah, we can all you can always welcome back but Obviously, and ironically, Susie, this is like the last podcast we did before this all happened. We were promoting your album release show, which didn't happen. Did but not happen. You, but who would have known? Who would have known? Well, it will. But, but you have played a few gigs, and you're plug time. Greg, you've played a couple gigs. Right. I, and well, probably gone. Stuff. Pretty good, right? Yeah. I mean, some people, they don't, I won't say they don't take it seriously, but if you know where you are and you're with people you know, I mean, I don't think you have to worry quite as much. I think it's when you get a lot of strangers together. You know, be careful. I was telling, you know. like, you know, in terms of, like, when I've been on a few times, they're friends. I stay a little away. We talk. We're careful. We even had the Yahoo factor out where the idiots are. And you stay away from places you would think they're going right. to be. I mean, you know, you set up so you're kind of far away from each other even. And, you know, I mean, you got to be realistic about it. I mean, as long as you're not spitting on each other and sneezing on each <laughs> other, and, you know. <laughs> well, you know. But... You know, I don't. I, I, everybody can't have the virus. Everybody, uh, like that's the whole thing. Everybody's like you're being careful, but it's like it's kind of assuming that everybody's got it. I gotta stay away from everybody. Well, and know. I don't blame. I don't blame. I have friends. Yeah, I have know, friends but, who are like, I know I won't see till at least next year. God bless them. Mm -hmm. They're staying reclusive. I know one of my dear friends had this in March, and she said. 
And you she's 26. You don't want and She it, said right? how bad it yeah. was. And she said, I don't not, you know, we're friends. You're going to see each other. That's, and it'll just feel even better, you know, this parting was well met, you know, eventually right. we'll see each other. We'll parting smile again. such sweet sorrow. But the thing is, I mean, it is, you have to live. You can't, this is the ground we're on now. Why try to be miserable about Turn it? You got, we got to go through it. Yeah. And, I, you know, I hate to see the way the country is so angry and divided and everything. And hopefully... Well, it's it's intentional. Turn uh, your head and cough. And the, <laughs> I, was a, I was a crash and structural firefighter in the Air Force dealing with chemical, biological, nuclear, anything that fell out of the sky. And biological, when, when a, a toxin escapes, the first thing you're supposed to do, no matter how terrible it is, is get outside... Breathe the fresh air, because there's also the contagion is is out there. So, all this is the wrong thing. And a, uh, you know, when they say it's a pandemic, well, by definition, that's 25 to 50 percent of the population. We've lost one half of one percent. That's less than the flu. This is all a control issue. It's the same thing the Nazis did after World War One. You choose must must confine together, and we take you to safety. And and Gehring said it. Uh, tell a lie loudly enough and often enough, and the people will it's believe big it. Right, and and in uh, Mein Kampf, Chris uh, Goebbels wasn't it the big lie? Uh, yeah, Gehring was the head of the year. Oh, Force. okay, maybe I got it wrong, but Nazi nonetheless. And and in Mein Kampf, it's me being OCD is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Hitler, Hitler said in Mein Kampf, take away the rights a little at a time, they'll never realize it until it's too late. Mm. And you know, I. I remember reading, I read Rise and Fall of the Third Reich at 11 years old, and, and I was terrified because back then we had to get under our desks for, for right, air yeah. raids. Mm-hmm. And I got in trouble one day because I, st- I wouldn't do it. I said, no, I'm going to be like the Japanese that's vaporized against the wall, not under the desk. And I got in trouble, and I, and I said to my dad, because he was a, my dad was a, a highly decorated World War II vet, and I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. And I said, and besides, I said, I'm worried that, you know, we're going to get invaded by the Germans. And Dad said, hey, you're perceptive. Beware the Fourth Reich, is what my dad used to tell me. Mm. And if you look, all these things that's happening now is right out of yeah, the I'm a student now. of history, so I worry and I hope. Yeah. Down, I just hope for the best and do what I can and try to be prepared. I go for my walks every day. I try to live what I can. But speaking of that, too, Susie, you have a gig on Thursday. Greg, you playing? Or? Greg is. Yes, yes, he is. He's August. essential member of the band? Uh, yeah, he is the... <laughs> Backbone, literally. Yeah, because when band. you played last time, it was you and Don. Was it anybody? Yeah. Because I still, I couldn't muster up well, at the time you had the, to go. The, when we played last time at Abilene, um, it was just supposed to be a duo. And I said, Danny, there's enough room for a couple of the guys to come in. You know, we're, we're all a card apart from one another. Can I have them sit in? And they came and he goes, yeah, yeah, sure, as long as everybody's <sighs> apart from one another. And kudos to him. He's done a good job, I think. I really yeah, feel he's, he's done he's, a very good job. Yeah, he's very And diligent. Leslie Love and Cuff's done a very good job. And I oh, worry awesome. about her yeah. because now college kids are coming back. So yeah, heaven for... They're, I shouldn't say stupid. That's the wrong word to say. They're, they're young and naive. They're young and invincible. They yes, think they're and invincible. I don't say I wouldn't have done the However, same thing. However, I, I brought my cajon and uh, Todd... Um, Krantz was there, and Darren Wispeler was there. They both jumped up on stage and played percussion as well. And then Greg came with Debbie, and of course, anytime I see Debbie and we do Trailer Romance, I always say Debbie and Greg wrote this song. <laughs> yeah, we'll get you. But is there any way we can like see your art? Is there any links we can share or anything for you? Um, yeah. Um, 
if you go to uh, Facebook uh, under G-Man, uh, there should be under my real name, uh, Joffrey Howe, there's a, there's a site. Uh, also, if you go to Sears Silvertone Repros on Facebook, uh, that'll show a lot of the work I've done with uh, uh, the Silvertones and some of my tech work. And then um, I also have MJ12 Project. That's my... Uh, project that's all about ufos uh, and music and everything we should put all the links up for you on yeah this. yeah hey there i am <laughs> with my first guitar <laughs> hey give a quick plug for the good vibes before we yeah play. and also uh, our new music store is good vibes it's over at 579 stone road right next to the dutch mill uh we have everything that's yours i just literally yeah. rode down there i used to go I was a long-time customer of tony's in empire comics oh okay so i used to go down that's like an old home to me yep and I've gone down. My dad loved going to Jackson's Bakery. Yep. So that's all old ground for Oh, yeah. Triano's, so, yeah. So yeah. I just know that very well. I put, I put some stuff on consignment there, and it's sold. So, I mean, you know, you can bring your stuff So, yeah, bring your stuff. To, yeah. You know, it's support, we, support local businesses. That's right, damn Support, it. support. And we have, we have record albums, any of that stuff. Yeah, even the Hog and Bernunzios are behind us, too, and, and oh, giving us all the help John they can. Oh, yeah. I love them, too. So, yeah. Oh, him and his wife are, are sweethearts. So we'll be playing August 14th, Friday, August 14th. At Abilene. That's, that's a Thursday. No, it's. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's a Friday. It's a Friday. It's a yeah. Friday. Oh, so oh yeah, right. Uh, one of my friends gigs on the fifteenth. Leave me alone about dates. Fifteenth is tell Saturday. Yeah. I tell yeah, because it's <laughs> actually the second today. Ergo sixteenth. Right. So if I would have told you what Susie's gig was, you would have shown up and gone, "Where is she?" Yeah. <laughs> It's Friday, August 14th at Abilene. It's, uh, we play from 7 to 9. Uh, doors open at 4, and they are serving hummus plates. So you can drink as long as you order food. And I mean, I had, I was lucky. So all that weight I gained from wings was invisible. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> I imagined it. I know, right? But Danny I does a good job. I've this. gone down there going, you wear your mask, be good, sit down, you can take it off, <laughs> just be, you know, just be smart, that's all. But I thought timely these days because we played one of your songs the last times you were here. I thought the song from this new thing. Where can you pick up your new? Obviously, it's your shows because this is really good. Obviously, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Spotify. From you're gonna have them at the gig too. Yeah, we'll have them at the gig also. But we'll play. I think the song you can explain it a little. I think "Get Your Thing Together" is perfect for these days. Yeah, it's a it's gospel-y it's a, and Annette love. Snell originally uh, sang the song "Get Your Thing Together," and uh, it's something that we heard on Rejuvenation, which is one of our favorite shows, and. Uh, Don and I were like, well, really, Don, he goes, Susie, you can nail the song. And I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a try. So we brought it up to Greg, and Greg's like, yeah, yeah, I think this song would be great. So we decided to do it. It is a good song. It is. That's why we're going to play it. So this will be Get Your Thing Together from Anonymous Willpower. And thanks, everybody. Thanks, G-Man. Thanks, Thank Doggy <laughs> and Greg and everybody. We'll see you next time. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Play drum. Sitting here thinking about you, pulling back my hair. Sitting here thinking about you, wondering if you care, but I know you do. Just like I care for you. Oh, but you're so mixed up. You don't know if you're going or coming. And I'm in love. 
Yeah. 